welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And guess who's back on Talk is Jericho? Corey Taylor returns and he's talking about his brand new straight up rock album, CMFT, and the decision to release it during the middle of the pandemic. It's out now and you can get it wherever you buy or stream music and it's awesome. Corey's also sharing the details behind the forum or against them live stream concert he did in front of no audience at the massive forum in Los Angeles. A bad dad joke got the whole thing started. True stories you're about to hear. And he's talking horror movies. He's writing one himself and close to starting production on it. He's also a big AEW fan and took part in the Manitoba Melee. He was tased by Lou Ferrigno. You'll hear why that happened. And he's got a great story about the WWE's reaction to Corey's AEW fandom. Plus, we hear about the time that Corey almost became the singer for both Anthrax and Revel- uh, Velvet Revolver. Rumors are all true. You'll find out why it didn't work out in both cases. So let's get to it. Corey Taylor starts now on Talk is Jericho. I see that your background is as cool as mine. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I duck in my media room to do this all the time. So Well, it's funny because that's just how it's been going in this day and age over the last six months. Whenever you do press, before you would just get on the phone, and right. now everybody wants to do Zoom. So you have to have something in the back to look kind of cool. Right, exactly. I got in trouble. I was doing this. I did the uh, the Channel 4 Sunday brunch uh-huh. in the UK. They, I stayed up until like 11.30 because they were going live. Right. And I get on, and they're like, oh, we can't exactly have the Star Wars in the background. So I'm just, I'm, I'm slowly but surely going like this. Is this all right? Is this okay? Like, I'm, it was, I was like, look, you're lucky I'm even still awake, dude. Like, That's right. Two hours past my bedtime. <laughs> oh, brutal. You know, it's funny. I was just, uh, uh, I just happened to see an article and I'm totally going to rip them off and ask the same question because it's a great story of the, the best money you ever spent and the worst money you ever spent and it's oh, for men yeah. it's for it's for men's health i don't know if anybody reads the magazine or whatever so yeah i just did the big video interview for them man right so i just thought that was a great uh, it was such a great question and a great answer that you had so th- th- what's the worst money you ever spent so the worst money i ever spent was i uh well, i got burned in like three different high level investment schemes quote unquote mm-hmm. schemes and of course now this was back I was fre- we were freshly successful. I had a lot of coin of the realm coming in. Thought I was smarter than I really was, <laughs> you know? And, you know, when you've got money, and you know how this is, everybody's your friend. Mm-hmm. Everybody's your friend. Everybody's got a great way that they can double your money. And, <laughs> oh, dude, I got this insane investment. So I blew, well, God, what was it? $35,000 on a tattoo shop in the middle of nowhere that I was convinced was going to, was going to do really well. It's like, dude, there's not a, there's not a tattoo shop for 30 <laughs> miles in any direction. And there's a reason no <laughs> one out in the sticks wants to get a tattoo. Right. <laughs> and then the, the, the second one was uh, a t-shirt company that had the potential to be lucrative. If homeboy hadn't spent most of the money on food and, uh, bottomless cups of coffee at uh, the Denver uh, Perkins, just staying up all night, didn't do anything, didn't print anything, didn't do anything, wiped my ass with about, I'd say 15, 20 grand on that. And then, but then the, the biggest one, and I keep the names out of this one because this one was brutal, 
was uh, a family member who I tried to help with a, uh, a pet suppliers company, which is basically the middleman, you know, like passing fish back and forth, you know, like they would raise them and then pass them on to the actual <laughs> shops, right? And within a year, that family member and their spouse were uh, smoking the profits Eww. on crank and meth. Like, yeah, it was gnarly, dude. So I wiped, I wiped about a hundred thousand on that one. The worst one I ever had for the same amount for a hundred thousand is exactly what it was. Was a wrestling company, and I never wanted to be a wrestling promoter. But there's this guy that had this idea of doing an encapsulated series, like like Dexter or whatever, like there's episode one and there's a story right. arc and then there's episode 12 and then the season's done. And he had all these great ideas for characters and the guy, I'm not going to mention the name, like you said, he had some right. steam in Hollywood and I was like, let's do it. And of course, took that money, did the taping, turned into a hermit, disappeared and, and just recently put them up on YouTube. And there's like Gallows and Anderson are in this thing and Kenny Omega and, and Luther's in it. And there's like all of these people that are really oh, big wow. stars now right, right. that weren't at the time. MVP was in it. And that was a nice hundred grand that went down the toilet. And uh, so it's up on YouTube. And I was going to try and get it pulled, but I thought, ah, why bother? Right. I mean, it's, it's more of a pain in the ass than anything else. What are you going to do? Right. Yeah. And honestly, in a way it's, it's free promotion for you because of the people that were involved. You who are working with you in AEW, man, which is great. Yeah. You're going to drive all that. And people are going to go, and you know how wrestling fans are, dude. They're so ravenous that they right. don't rip that apart and just be like, what the f you know? <laughs> so what was the best money you spent? Best money I ever spent was, it was the, it was the best buy story. That was like, that, that was me flexing in a, in a, in a monkey. What'd situation. you do? I walked, so I walked into a best buy and I spent, $10,000 on DVDs and a DVD player. And I mean, quick. I mean, I had four grocery carts. Yeah, dude. I mean, I was an asshole. I had my friends pulling along. Do we look like a, a nightmare train just rolling through the – and I'm and this was back when Best Buy had, like, all the racks, right? Right. Stuff. And, dude, I – it was the, the, the best and worst thing, really, that I'd ever done because it was like a – it was like a jump start to a DVD collection that then got way out of control. <laughs> I still have them, man. Like, and they're sitting in boxes, and I just keep going, "What the hell am I going to do with these?" Yeah, now? you know, like, I mean, there's a part of me that wants to take and and just pay somebody to dump the the, the obscure ones that you can't find, like on the streaming so like sort mm -hmm. of dump them on a on a hard drive, and I can set them up in my media room so I can access them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm just like, man, that just means me going through, you know, 12 boxes, full giant medium yeah. hall moving boxes full. But dude, it was so stupid. Like they couldn't even give me a regular receipt. They had to give me a computer <laughs> printout, like four or five pages, dude. And I was just like, I was like, what am I doing? I, that was the last time I really did anything like that. <laughs> the first uh, car that I bought that was actually really nice was a, a, a Mustang convertible. And the only problem was it was in Calgary and I bought it in about October. So, oh, <laughs> so, so by the time, yeah, so when you're trying to drive this thing around and like you said, I had made a little money in Japan and I think it cost me, I don't know, 30 grand or something like that import, imported from Lethbridge and shows up in Calgary. <laughs> and what happened was the, the ice was so bad on the roads that this had no traction and no right. weight to it. 
So I would pull up to a red light and then start to try and go and be like, and you start moving to the, you know how it is. You're from Iowa. Oh, yeah. So my nice Mustang convertible was a piece of shit in the winter. Had to go buy a shitty pickup truck for 500 bucks so I had something to drive. Right, right. Yeah, the <laughs> rear-wheel drive sucks in the winter. You know, it like, it you does. Like sandbags of your friend. Or you just get your, your heaviest friends to sit in the back seat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tiny, get in the back. Tiny, <laughs> right, get in the back. Sit right, just right, like just to the left of me. That's where the grid is. Well, dude, we've been talking about this for a while, and there's, there's so much stuff for us to talk about, and it's always yeah. great to, to, to talk to you. But the first thing, I actually just had uh, Rob Halford on yesterday and opened the question, the, the show with the same kind of question I'm going to ask you as musicians, but more importantly as music fans, how much did it hit you, the passing of Eddie Van Halen? Dude, you know, the sad thing is that it happened on my anniversary. Oh, man, that's right. Yeah, so... You know, me and Alicia, we're getting dudded up and getting all ready. And then all of a sudden, we get the news, man. And I mean, everybody was hitting me up. You know, I, so I immediately reached out to all the people I knew who knew Eddie, you know, because I'd never met him. But I mean, obviously, his music touched all of us, you know, yeah. like Van Halen was so different. And yet they were the blueprint for a million bands, dude. I mean, they, every band I know, even if they didn't like, like dig their music, they respected the craftsmanship, the the diversity, the the intricacy that they put together. Man, like they, you had to be really good to play a Van Halen song. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying it wasn't just one of those things where you could ham and egg it. You know, I can't play a, a yeah. Van Halen song, man. Like I get close, I start the riff, and then I just go. And then I start humming with my mouth, like to, cover, <laughs> to make up know? for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's, I mean, dude, he was he was incredible. I mean, the influence that he had on not only modern shredders, but I mean, the '80s rock bands, the '90s rock bands. I mean, he influenced forty years of of musicianship. I mean, name another person who's still alive, really, mm-hmm. who's had that kind of impact, man. You know, it's interesting. I've been thinking about it. I did some stuff for Sirius, um, you know, guest DJ or whatever. And uh, to me, Van Halen, it's not just a band. They changed the pop culture zeitgeist in that when you wanted to portray the image of a great time, Van Halen right. was always used. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I just want to, you know, blew his reward money on hiring Van Halen for the backyard party. Yeah, like exactly, dude. At <laughs> that point in time, like Van Halen was freedom. Van Halen was rock and roll. And just the name and the power. And it just, it goes beyond just a band. It's a whole connotation. When you say Van Halen, you think all of this yeah. rather than just the four guys playing. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, and the mentality, I mean, the they were really the first band to bring that party atmosphere into right, right. the live show, you know? Like, I mean, I remember seeing video from the 1984 tour, and it was just like, this is man, yeah. dude. Like, it, it looked so rad that you wanted to be there as a dude, you know? And then every 80s, 80s band tried to, to take that, and they never – it just never seemed genuine. It looked fun, mm-hmm. but it never seemed as genuine or as dangerous. You know, that that good dangerous. Right. That, 
that edgier, you know, like you look at Mean Streets and you look at Panama, like there was just something there that just created this whole party that was just like, you can either get high, loaded, or laid at that party, you know, <laughs> right. no bullshit about it. In, in the funnest possible way, just, just right. a few, it's also too, because there was no pyro at a VH show. There right. was no, and this is the mid eighties. There was no, you know, dragon coming down from the ceiling or whatever. The show was Roth spinning his sword and Eddie playing his guitar, and and that was that was the gig, you know. And I just think, and and there was no evil side. Like if you go like Motley Crue with right. Iron Maiden or, or Priest was always a little bit more of an evil thing. Van Halen was just all about, like you said, the chicks, yeah, the, the weed, the the drinking, whatever it was you're into, or just you want to be straight. That's cool too. Come on down and party with Van Halen. And it's just like I want to be there, man. So yeah, it's been a weird week just kind of thinking about all that. Yeah, and it's, you know what's rad, though, and I think he would have loved this, and I'm sure he got it in his lifetime, but seeing all the people come out yeah, from every genre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody from Morello to Mayer to, I mean, everyone has an Eddie Van Halen story, man. Mm -hmm. like, it's really, really, I mean, what Pete Townsend said about him really blew my mind. What did he say? He said. I didn't he, see it. He said he was such an amazing musician and not only that, but just such a great man. He's like, I could have seen him being president someday. Like mm. that. I was like, Holy shit, dude. I mean, yeah. from Townsend. I mean, it's rad. The, this, the, the level of respect. Cause I know the last handful of years were tough for him, man. Mm, and yeah, it was really sad. I heard some crazy stories, but I don't even want to fucking think about that. Yeah. I just want I love the fact that so many people have come out and really paid, paid tribute and really you know paid their love yeah that's what uh, steve vi said he, he was like you know how ethereal and mystical and whimsical he is he was talking about you know life is about coming and going he said let's just all focus on the thank thank goodness that he was here and right. all of the great you know music that he left behind so uh speaking of great music there's a segue ah. your new record <laughs> cmft uh you played it for me or sent it to me a couple months ago it's right. a great record man and it's a rock and roll record much more closer to Van Halen than it is to, to Slipknot, in my opinion. What made you decide to do this and obviously play this kind of almost a different style from what you're usually known for? Well, this is, I mean, and you and I have talked about music over the years. Like, I mean, we're into so many different types of music. Yeah. This was kind of a reflection of that. You know, like when I'm writing music, I never really focus on a genre. I just kind of let the song come to me. Mm -hmm. And usually that song just chooses what genre it wants to be you know i mean there's a little bit flexibility and there have been times where i've played around with changing the genre on a song or changing whatever but for the most part when i'm writing a song that genre doesn't really present itself until i really sit down and start working on it mm. and i had this whole bunch of songs that i had written over the last call it 20 plus years that did couldn't live with either band and just were so, to me, just so good that I wanted to share it with the world, you know? So it just became, like you said, like this this crazy rock and roll party album, man, you know? And it walks through so many of my influences, uh, the music that I love, that, that I love to listen to, that I love to cover. And, you know, it's just such a great segue for people. If they really want to know the music that I really loved growing up listening to not just writing but listening to cmft is like the perfect start because it has 
ACDC, Van Halen, Motley Crue, Slade, Suicidal Tendencies, Anthrax. It's got, you know, it's got East Coast rap rock. It's got, you know, 90s grunge filtered through, you know, Atlanta, Georgia. Like, it's got all of these great vibes that, to me, are the hallmark of enjoying music, you know? Like, you have to be a really... The thing that I love about the music that I make is that you have to be a music lover to really get into it. You can't mm -hmm. just be a passive listener. You can't be a, a just uh, a, a mainstream junkie who's okay with listening to music on speakers this big. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I want an explosion. I want two 18s and a woofer just kicking the shit out of me, you know? And that's, that's the kind of album I wanted to make, and that's hopefully what I got. It reminds me, and I say this, and I think you'll get what I'm saying. It reminds me of almost like a, not heavy metal, but a hard rock kid rock. In that kid okay, rock yeah. has all of these elements of, of his influences. And obviously he started out as a rap guy, but when you see him in concert, he's not. He's just a very good musician who's used all of his influences from Skinner to Run DMC to Aerosmith to, you kind of are, are that uh, with this project. Uh, I really kind of, like you said, a combination of all of these little bits that you're making into your own style. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a cool blending of genres too. You know, it's like when, just when you think you've kind of figured out what one song is going to be, it shifts and it morphs in a really mm. cool way. You know, like uh, the song Maria fire, it's, you know, it starts as like this very jazzy kind of rockabilly thing. And then all of a sudden it kicks into this, like this pub rock song and the <laughs> chorus and then out of nowhere, it goes into like this, this blues riff that, that just kind of that builds towards this really cool jazzy solo that Zach, you know, our good friend Zach mm -hmm. does. And, you know, I, I, I love that. I love the fact that it walks through this bit, but it's all based around a sensual song that you could just sit down and play on guitar, you know? So that was, that, that was a lot of fun to be able to kind of morph those different genres, like you said, and really kind of show people where I'm coming from. But this is something even before the record was released, because I remember maybe it was you a year were, ago. You maybe was, You were one of the handful of people I sent it to early. I was like, you got to hear this. <laughs> so stoked, yeah. But the best part is, too, a lot of times when people send you stuff, you don't really check it out because you just forget or something. But it's like, I, I got to hear this. I got to listen to it. And it wasn't just like, you know, sometimes you listen to the first couple songs. Like, good job, dude. Like, this one was the yeah, whole... Man. The whole, yeah, this is the whole part and parcel of it, man. But, but like I said, I saw you a couple of years ago. I think it was at the Roxy. It right. might have been a year ago. It might have been two years ago. I don't even know at this point. Right. But, yeah, at this point, who knows? You know, who knows? But it was one in a series of shows that you had done because you were doing Corey, Corey Taylor shows. And it was so much fun. Once again, you have a great band. There's Zach Throne, who's the secret weapon of all secret weapons that uh, Fitz and Kearns and Bruce Kulik use on the Kiss Cruise with them. But it was just a great time. The place was packed. You played some covers. You played some originals. Charlie played with you on a couple songs or whatever it was. Yeah. Was that kind of the genesis of like you're having so much fun playing these shows that you want to do more with it? I mean, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, because I've been threatening for a long time to kind of do a solo thing, but I couldn't, I hadn't really decided on what I wanted to do yet. You know, like I didn't know if I wanted to just start from scratch and write a bunch of new tunes or if I wanted to, you know, use the songs that I ended up using, you know, and doing those shows really set the tone for what I wanted to do, you know, like it had that right. party atmosphere. It had that fun atmosphere. Like you don't have to be so serious 
You can just go out on stage. You know how it is, man. When you were doing those Fozzie shows and watching you just have so much fun, like that's what it's all about is right. going out there and just getting the, the, the audience to just let go of that breath they've been ha holding, you know, because mm. some of us are just, some people are just going through some serious shit and they don't want to go to a show where you're preaching or you're sermonizing. They, they just want to let go, have a few shots, maybe get laid. You know, that's mm -hmm. the kind of, like, I mean, that's, that's a rock and roll party, man. You know, so <laughs> that was, you know, doing those shows, especially the Roxy one really showed me what I wanted to do, you know? And then it just came down to finding the, the first batch of songs that really kind of fit with that mentality, you know, and you can actually see that on uh, the live stream as well, the, the former against them that, that went down. It was, it was just, it was my way of being able to incorporate all of that stuff and really show just what a party you could have if you do it right, you know? You know, and it's interesting. And we'll talk about the forum show because it's really well done and a lot of fun. But um, I guess what I was going to say is, was it weird for you? Because, I mean, you obviously have been working on this for a while, putting right. it out in the middle, well, hopefully in the towards the end of this pandemic. Right. Was that any type of consideration for you where you're like, should I do this? Should I not? I mean, honestly, it was, it was you know, I thought I, I, I considered all the the worries, you know, I considered all the you know, what was going on. And then I realized it's like, if we do this smart, you know, we could totally do it, you know, and do it right. I mean, cause I knew, I knew we weren't going to be able to just go out and tour, but I knew that I wanted, you know, we, we'd had so much fun demoing everything that I wanted to kind of strike while the iron was hot, you know, like I could have waited until January, February, when I was originally going to do this, mm -hmm. I was originally going to do it after the, the Slipknot tour cycle. And then I realized it's like, man, I'm not, doing anything for god knows how long now i might as well go in and really try to you know capitalize on the time off that i have you know and do it in a way that allows me to get this out it doesn't take away from slipknot when the time comes um i can finish that tour cycle feeling good about what i've done with the the solo album what i'm going to do later when you know when the chance the tour comes around i can tie that off maybe do some extra stuff with slipknot in the, in the interim it just it just made sense for me doing it the right way to go in and take advantage of the time that we had, you know. Plus, I was able to, you know, create some work for some people. Right. You know, we're having a hard time paying bills, you know, and being able to get some money and not just take it for myself, but be able to, you know, pay crew for that, that off show, you know, pay the guys for their work, pay the studio that I worked at. It was a great way to kind of, you know, kind of pump some money in and get people working yeah and that's that's a lot of people don't understand that we did uh, we talked about this doing those four shows in, in north dakota and south dakota but a lot of it was because you know we're we're the owner of the band so to speak and you got a lot of people that are sitting at home doing nothing and that extra you know grand or whatever it was from the four or five shows that we did 1500 bucks at least it's something in the middle of all this a little bit of an oasis Right. And a lot of what a lot of people don't think too is the crew. I mean, we have crew people that we love working with and they've got nothing, man, you know? Right. right. I mean, there's a handful of organizations right now trying to raise money for stuff like that. Yeah. Which is great. And we've uh we've donated to it and we've done our best, especially with Slipknot, to make sure uh, to kind of keep them on some sort of low retainer. Mm -hmm. And uh I mean, just because I mean, because it's just, you know, it once it starts to flatten out, there's only so much you can do, even for yourself. Right. You know? So 
anything that I could do to generate a little more cash to come in was not only going to help my buddies, but help people who I know there's no contingency, you know, there's no, you know, there's really no crew union. It's just, you kind of, it's, it's hand to mouth for those guys sometimes. And it would behoove me not to try and help them when they bust their ass for me, you know? That's right. That's right. So quickly, you guys were supposed to go out this summer with Slipknot. It was a fairly big tour, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, not only that, but we were doing all the European festivals. We had created uh, Knotfest UK. We were going to do Vakken, which I've never done. Wow. I was losing my mind on, dude. But we we basically postponed them till next summer. Mm-hmm. So that's ostensibly that's the plan, you know? But we were supposed to... uh yeah, we were going to do another U.S. run. We were going to do uh, Southeast Asia. We were supposed to do Southeast Asia right when the pandemic hit. Man. Mm. I mean, we were coming. We were watching everything from Europe because that's where I was whenever when all the shit was starting. Oh going. wow! Yeah, I mean, we barely got home. I mean, we got in, and then a week later, everything shut down. Well, tell the story. So were you supposed to be touring over there? Yeah, man. Yeah. We were supposed to, Wow. Uh, we were, yeah, we were coming home for, I want to say two weeks, three weeks, something like that. And we were supposed to shoot right over to, I think it was Japan or the Philippines. There were festivals going on over there and corn actually went, I think mm. like I, they, they actually went over and we pulled out, like we saw what was happening and we, we waited until like the last second to really see if it was going to go, you know, like full on. And as soon as it did, dude, we were like, nope, we're not doing it. We're pulling out. And we were supposed to go to Australia as well. And it, it was, yeah, it was crazy, dude. Like, I mean, it was, it went from zero to what the f- in like no right. time at all. And you had your whole crew and the whole stage and all the production over there overseas? Stage and production were over there. It was actually in Australia getting ready to get shipped. Oh my gosh. Uh, our crew wasn't there. Like luckily we all kind of, everybody went home. And we were just getting ready to literally like a, a, you know, like a week from when we actually canceled, we, we were getting ready to fly over there, but we didn't fly anybody over, thankfully. So nobody got stuck over there. Like nobody was, you know, worrying about whether or not we were going to get, you know, so then it just became looking at the next tour, you know, which was supposed to be America, you know, and then that got canceled. And then, you know, it was supposed to be the European summer festivals. That got postponed. So, and then we were supposed to do our cruise as well, the not cruise, you know, and uh, or the not fest at sea, or whatever the hell we called it, and uh, and then that that's gone away indefinitely. Like, like we don't even know what's going to happen with that, man. Yeah. So you're not you're not because for ours for the and you were great on the first uh, Jericho cruise when you yeah, man, we had a lot of fun on that. I walked out and you were playing SpongeBob SquarePants and the whole place was singing along. And it was like ah, he gets it. <laughs> I I do not understand that song gets so many requests that my goddamn and, and it's like I as like people know I didn't write this right like I had nothing to do with it this was something I learned for my son just to like play it with him and then I played it at one show it ends up on YouTube and it's the most requested tune I was like mother really. Of all my stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous, dude. <laughs> but yeah, so we had to move ours from February back to October. And uh, we were also on the Kiss Cruise this year. Same thing. So it seems like that's that's kind of the area of 2021 where cruises can go back out again. So Right, right. Yeah. You know. So we're just kind of watching and waiting, you know, just like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Just trying to figure out what the f- 
thinking about doing another live stream. I want to do something that will benefit local clubs like mom and pop clubs mm -hmm. that aren't a part of like the live nation circuit or right. owned by them. Cause there are a lot of them are going under man. Like it's insane. Like you can so see many clubs. one of the clubs that my son played in Des Moines, the vaudeville muse. It's a place that clowns played with his side stuff. It just shut down. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, in, it's insane, man. We're losing that circuit. Yeah. That, you know, that beginner circuit that so many bands cut their teeth on, man. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of something that I can do. I mean, cause I, I can always throw a charity together, but it's not nearly as, as gratifying. You know, you can, this, I, I think if I do another live stream and I, I donate, you know, most of the, the proceeds to, you know, trying to, you know, keep those things afloat. And I think it'll help. Yeah. It's interesting because we had a, a full tour, April, May, that got moved to July, August, that got moved to October, November, that got moved to April, May. Right. And it's like, why don't we just cancel? It's because the promoters don't want us to cancel because we've sold all these tickets and they're holding on. But a couple of us lost one of the big ones. I'm, I'm sure you might've played there, the Chameleon Club in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's a yeah. great room. Shut down, done forever. You know, and, and for us, you know, a 600 seat room, to sell that out, that's a good night. That's a good that's night's a, work. That's a fun night, man. You know? I mean, right yeah. there, there's high, you know, it's just, those shows are dope, man. And you know, yeah. losing those shows, I worry about like the the places in in Kansas City that we played, like not the Hurricane, but uh, I can't remember what it's called. Kodian, the Kodian, I think is what. It's yeah. Called. yeah, 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 yeah. Like or the Cotillion, excuse me. Those places, man, are so integral to keeping the spirit of rock and roll alive. Yeah. It's the bloodstream. Let's talk about your, your first live stream show, the brilliantly named Forum or Against Them, <laughs> which AK ridiculously named. It's so great. I can't even take credit for that. Like, that wasn't even my name. That was Tooch. Tooch came up with that. Did he really? Yeah. Yeah, dude. It was great because we were, we were in a van. We were going somewhere. I can't remember. The, we were talking about shows, like where we would want to play. And, He's, you know, we were talking about the forum. I was like, if we did a live album, like, what would we call it? And we would do it from the forum. He goes, we call it Forum or Against Them. And dude, we howled <laughs> the dumbest, the dumbest dad joke ever. Yeah. And then, you know, flip around where we were talking about doing a live stream. And we could have done it from anywhere, you know, but I wanted to do it like a proper gig, you know. And I said, of course, this is my balls coming out, right? I was like, what about the forum? You know, <laughs> why not? Why not just book the forum? You know, uh, such an asshole. And my my manager was like, let me check. And I just went, what? Really? We can do that? <laughs> and honestly, I mean, that's when it really came together. It was all based around that dumbass name. Like, and me and Keith just looked at each other the day we were walking up on the stage and we just went, this is really happening. This is ridiculous, <laughs> man. This is great. We had so much fun, man. Well, let's talk about that because just so people know, like once again, you like we're gonna do one more of a of a studio atmosphere, like a storyteller's thing. But oh, that's right. a, that's that's a recording studio. You know, it costs you know two hundred fifty bucks to rent out. Right, you know, because right. we know the guys. <laughs> when I saw you were doing the form, I'm like. First, I'm thinking, is it going to be limited capacity or so? You're like, no, no people. And that's like, wow. A, right. big balls. B, what a great idea. But C, it's going to cost you a few bucks to rent out the forum for, I'm assuming, probably two or three days to set up everything. 
Yeah, we, we, we rented it for two days and it was crazy. I mean, luckily we were able to partner with Danny Wimmer, who's a good friend of ours. Right. He, you know, he, he runs DWP. He is responsible for, well, he and his partners were responsible for Rock on the Range, Northern Invasion, like all the big, yeah, festivals. all the big festivals, louder than life, Rock, and exactly, exactly Jacksonville, Rockville, yeah. And he can't. He was looking to to do his first live stream, really. And we, uh, you know, we talked him through it. Now, you know, I've known Danny forever, and we we just basically explained what we wanted to do. And dude, he put the money up. I mean, he was really, yeah, man. I mean, with with the without even hesitation, you know. I mean, we kept it. We kept it pretty low, but I mean, it's, it, it was a, a pretty decent budget considering like we weren't even sure who was going to see this thing, man. And we were able to make that back and then some, which was great. You know, like we I think at the end of the day, I mean, the thing was only up, we ended up extending it because of fan demand and like everybody was really wanting to see it, but we came close to making half a mil. I mean, that's it was, amazing. Dude, it was great, man. So Everybody won. Danny was happy. It was his first live stream because, I mean, Live Nation wasn't really doing it. Like, nobody was really doing it. So, for him to come in and take a chance on us was fantastic, dude. You know, it took a lot of work, but the payoff was so rad and the feedback has been so killer. And now I can use that to do a live CD if I want to or do a DVD or do it you know putting up put it up on the the streaming content and and let that live because it was mm. such a great show you know there's a great part in there I can't remember what exactly you say either uh how you doing tonight or look at all the people here tonight or something <laughs> along the <laughs> what'd you say no, they told nobody I, I was like I was like look at all the people here tonight yeah. my feet were off right and, I, and, and it pulls back and there's nobody there <laughs> I was like, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> you almost want to put the little cricket sounds in there. Chirp, chirp, oh, chirp, chirp. I, I came so close. I was like, is there any way? But I just wanted them to hold on it a little longer just to really drive the Great comedy. <laughs> there's this great moment. There's this great moment in that same breath where I was like, you know, make some noise for everybody here. And Zach, it pulls back and it's got Zach. And he's just going. <laughs> <laughs> Like, who is he talking to? It's just so <laughs> ridiculous. Oh, uh, dude, we we were just busting each other's balls the entire time, man. It was just so much fun, you know. How was it for you? I know for for us, as you know, we've been we've been wrestling since March with nobody there. Now we're able to have five hundred people in the crowd, you know, distance out because we're in an amphitheater, which is the first night there was five hundred people in a six thousand seat venue. I felt like I was in Madison Square Garden. It was just like right. Oh! How was it for you playing a show with nobody there? I mean, you know what you're getting into, but still. It was it was a lot like uh, a pre-production day. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's like you do it, especially with Slipknot, what we would do is we would go in to the venue for like the first day to kind of like test out the pyro and stuff just to kind of save money instead of doing it in a warehouse. And a lot of, and that's really the first time we're like seeing each other because we <laughs> all scatter. And uh, we just take two out, two or three hours and just run the set, you know, run the intro, run the set. So for me, it was a lot like a, just a pre-pro day, you know. And for me, I love keeping the energy up. And I love just, you know, running all over the place and getting my feet and really getting to know the, the stage and whatever. And for this, it was, I mean, it was pretty much the same thing, you know. It was 
to me, it meant it was more about making sure that the songs all sounded super tight. And we spent you know a week rehearsing before we even played the show and make sure that, and we had uh, the, the, the pyro people come in and, and, you know, watch for the, you know, watch for the, the, the cues stuff. Yeah. So it really came off. I mean, I was amazed how, how it came off without a hitch. I mean, the crew that we had made us look way better than we actually are. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's usually the case, you know? So it was, it was rad, man. Um, once you got, it was really weird because we would get, get the end of this like big emotional tune and it was just like, bah! and you just hear the decay in the <laughs> cave, you know, it's like, it's like playing for the bears and you don't know where they are. Right. You, know? <laughs> you know, but, but like you said, it's almost, it's almost the, the, the way of the world now. Um, you know, live streaming shows, you know, Metallica did the drive-in show and I know Steel Panthers played a couple actual shows uh, with the crowd, the cars at the drive-in. I mean, freaking Sammy Hagar, did a birthday bash for himself at Canalita Island with boats in the harbor as he played. Right. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's like, I, I guess that's, that's just the way it is now. It always, it always kind of concerns me a bit though. Will people come back when they're able to, um, or will they rather just be watching it at home for a while? I'm, I'm curious no, as to what no. you think about that. No, dude, people are gagging. Yeah. I, the feedback that I've had for the live stream is that that's actually made it worse for people. Like, they're no. just like, I can't wait to get back to our <laughs> I mean, this is a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Like, there's yeah. nothing, nothing's going to replace that live feel, you know? I mean, think about it this way. I mean, think about the, the wave in the 80s, the 70s and 80s of the, every band, every time, like every couple of years, they put out the big live album. You know, Ozzy, Maiden, Wasp, like the, everybody had the big live album, right? people kept coming to shows, you yeah. know, like it, it wasn't like that. There was no way you were going to listen to that or even see it on a, on a VHS, you know, or, or mm-hmm. it tells you how old we are. <laughs> it, there's nothing that replaces that live vibe, you know, even if the new norm becomes the weird social distancing pods that right, right, right. You know, at least for a year, that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, people love coming to shows because there's no, there's nothing other than like working out with like headphones on. There's nothing that really gets your blood going, gets your body going like a live show, especially the excitement of yeah, you're right. what the next song is. And you know, this, oh, he's going to do that. You know, like yeah. go <laughs> into it, you know? So um, I'm telling you, dude, as soon as there is a, guaranteed vaccine things are going to be the floodgates dude we're all going to be working for a long time like it's going to it's it's going to be i was talking to andy copping a couple months ago and he's like dude if you if you guys want to come to england you better like 21's already booked so now you're looking at 22 and 23 like there's going to be shows and concerts up the ass you know when finally things are allowed to go back again yeah and and that's I, I love the fact that nobody's panicking yet. Everybody's just like, you know what? We'll wait it out. We'll see. Right. We've never it's unprecedented, man. No, nothing's nothing like this has ever happened. I'm mean, thinking about the last time something like this happened was like 1918. Yeah. I mean, who the fuck was even playing live shows in 1918? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it was 
you know, it wasn't like this wasn't an issue. Like this is this is new ground. So anything that we can do to kind of keep people's mind off the fact that it's it's crazy out there, you know, all that's going to do is make them appreciate what you do even more when the time comes and those doors first come through and boom, they're going to rush for the barricade and it's going to be a great time again, man. Talk about having fans in the crowd. Uh, you were actually in the crowd at, I think it was the first AEW show in Las Vegas or one of the yeah, first all, ones. Yeah. Uh, all in. All in. Yeah. Yeah, man. And you've been you've been a, a big fan of of AEW and, and all the stuff we've done. Talk, let's talk about that for a bit. I love it because it's so different than any of the other promotions that I've ever like followed. It's obviously different than WWE. You know, it's night and day from WCW. You know, it's really you're really you get this great glimpse of the freedom and creativity that can come when you just you know. Like, obviously, there there are people in charge and people, like, you know, kind of, like, overseeing everything, but you're letting wrestlers be wrestlers again, which is rad. And and I can't tell you how many times I I talk to Stubbs, I talk to, like, all my buddies when we're watching AEW and we just go, that match was rad, you know? I mean, it's (laughs) just, and the promos are just so much better, you know? Like, it just feels like it's coming from the heart. It feels like, I mean, everything that you're doing with the... (laughs) Just champignons. I, I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> so funny, dude. And I think we, you just I think you just said mushroom in French. <laughs> I'll write that down, you know. Yeah. It's just it's just great, man. And I love the fact that whether it's people like Omega who have been doing it for years and you're finally getting like a real proper mainstream look, or like the like the undercard stuff, like the younger generation coming up, like that skater kid. What is his name? Darby Allen. Yes. Yeah. He is gnarly, dude. Yeah. Like, what, like the shit he does scares me. Where I'm like, oh no way, dude. But that's rad. It's so it's so refreshing, and I love it. It's like to me, it's like a it's like it's it's revolutionizing what can be and you can see that everyone is really digging it you know mm. and i love i love what cody has done i mean cody's really just been able to prosper flourish you know, yeah really, man I mean, he, was, he was always good you know in the other company but this has really allowed him to have that confidence to step out and be himself man so bravo but I mean, you guys are really doing well. It's always interesting to hear hear from your standpoint because you're a lot like like Rich Ward. Like you guys are fans, but you're long time and knowledgeable and appreciate right. the business and the entertainment side of it. Um, so it's cool to hear your opinion on that. It's pretty funny though because we've had you involved a few times uh, or, or, or indirectly. You did the the Manitoba melee, the fight scene, <laughs> which is yeah. great. I can't believe if you hit. Lou Ferrigno or Kevin Smith? I'm not sure who you. I think uh, I hit Duff. Duff, no, I, yeah, that's it. yeah, because because uh, Lou Ferrigno tases me, and then I <laughs> and I come back, and then I hit Duff. That, that's probably why he won't text me right now. I'm like, I was like, I got him with the ring hand, so it was like not. <laughs> I remember telling you, it's like because I, I asked uh, I asked a bunch of, of people, and everybody came back, which was great, except for David Spade. Um, but but I said, yeah, you know, you take a punch, and then take, and then I was like, holy. F- Friedman's got a taser. Let me call Corey. He'll understand it. Hey, Lou Friedman's going to tase you if that's okay. I'm sure yeah. like 
that's a random statement I never thought I'd hear. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, there's certain things you don't think you'll read during the day, and it's just like, oh, that's that's new. I put that on the list, you know? <laughs> but then the other time, I was just I was talking with, to Tony about this the other day. Remember way back when we were doing, I think it was Fighter Fest or something, and they wanted to make it like all the bands had pulled out or something? Yeah. <laughs> and then all the dudes started like, like the the Bucks and Omega were like, dude, like texting me, like the DMing me is like, dude, dude, we, we need to talk before you pull out, dude. I, that was so much fun. Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah, we had you say that you know Corey Taylor is, or whatever it was, whatever it was, Stone Sour, whatever. We're pulling. I was like, yeah, I'm pulling out of Fighter Fest. Out I'm not. I do not believe in the safety of this event. <laughs> But then you heard from WWE, didn't they give you some flack for that? They gave me a little shit. Like, and they didn't even get hold of me. They got hold of my manager. And they're like, um, uh, should we be concerned about this relationship that he's starting to build with the other <laughs> company? I'm like, what the f are you talking about? Really? Yeah. I've never I've never had a, another company get like butter before, you know? But I mean, obviously that's it's you know That's fucking, the politics. Yeah, totally. But, exactly. But I don't give a shit. I'm not under contract. I'll do whatever I want. <laughs> were you still going to watch other shows before the, the – you're in Vegas if you were home? Because I know we talked before about the the, the company you used to go to see with the immortal uh, Franken-chicken. He's a yeah, bad, bad with a clucker. Yeah. You know what's funny? Uh, Bodie just hit me up on uh, on uh, Twitter to tell me that the, the live show was rad, which was funny. Oh, cool. Yeah. But I, I hadn't seen anything – I think the last thing I saw was all in, to be honest, man. Cause I, you know, obviously I went out right on the road and then the last live show I actually saw was I took, uh, me and the guys out to see Tom Segura, the, the comedian. Oh, okay. He was, he was playing at the, uh, uh, the MGM theater, uh, the park theater and me and me and the wife love his podcast as well. The, the podcast he does with his wife. And so I just, I got tickets for me. Well, I accidentally bought 12 tickets to the event. And I will explain <laughs> because I used one of the, one of the ticket apps. This is what an idiot I am. I, I, I got on one of the ticket apps and I was like, okay, I just want to get six tickets together, you know, cause I was going to take, you know, me and the boys who were still in town. And, uh, and then I get this email that says this confirmation for the, the tickets or whatever. So I click on that. And then it takes me to another page and goes, are you sure you want these six tickets? I was like, yes. And then all of a sudden I realized that I bought six more tickets on a totally different site. So now I'm sitting on 12 tickets, <laughs> passing them out to my neighbors in the neighborhood. I was just like, I don't know what, I'm not allowed to buy tickets anymore. This is stupid. I don't know what the hell was that. But we, had, dude, it was a, the night was insane. Like we, we started out great. And then we were surrounded by this bachelor party. Everybody recognized me. So now I'm just like sitting back. <laughs> and then a dude at the end of our row threw up. So now for an hour, all we smell is vomit. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, I bought 12. <laughs> so I am not completely bummed out my wife and everybody else. It was <laughs> that was the last show that we went to, like live show that we went to. I made the same mistake. They did a, a few Grease live uh, sing-alongs where John oh, Travolta yeah. and Livy Newton-John were actually there. Uh, oh. 
just last December, but I did the same thing where I bought six tickets, but I accidentally bought six more. So, I, hey, you guys what want to go that? see? How, how does that happen? I don't know. Especially for us, we this is what we do. We sell <laughs> tickets for shows. How the hell am I buying twelve tickets for John Travolta? For sakes, right? Exactly. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, and my our, my last show was I remember March second. It was in Bakersfield. I went and saw Kiss and David Lee Roth. And hey, oh, if wow. I yeah, if I never get to see a rock show again. But thinking back, like, oh my gosh, I never would have guessed that that would be my last gig for you know eight months and counting. Right. Yeah, man. It's. It's been a trip because, you know, for us, it's hard going to gigs anyway sometimes. Right. Because you're going to see about 25% of the show and the other 75% is just running from punishers. You know, punishers. Like, even, <laughs> even being back, dude, I, uh, me and me and Alicia went to see Metallica. She had never seen Metallica. Okay, yeah. It was uh, about a year and a half ago. They played uh, T-Mobile and they were doing the In the Round show, right? So we're back with Big Mick. Because uh, I hadn't seen him in a while. I gave him a big old hug. Um, but we were still, uh, they had a uh, front of house basically right next to Sniffer's Row. So as soon as they saw me. Sniffer's Row. Yeah, dude. I haven't I mean, heard that in years. <laughs> For those who know, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so as soon as they saw me, like, it just became a barrage of, go on, go on. And I'm yeah. just like, all I could do was really just kind of keep my back to them. and. Yeah. It just takes you out of it. You can't just disappear into the show the way a normal people like, can because yeah. you're constantly on guard. Like anybody who comes up, you see them, they're doing this. You know. You know, and I'm like, ah, this is, there's 15 minutes I'm never going to get back, you know? Yeah. And you but, just want to see a show. So it's hard, like you said, though, because that's basically, you know, that's your demographic. And then right. it's, you know, it's, it's hard and to kind of. You never want to be a dick, you know? You yeah, never you can't. Take 10 seconds, but at a show like that, where there are tens of thousands of people, if they see you sign one thing or take one picture, that's that's two hours. That's it. You know, yeah. you can't, if you walk away, you're the biggest dick on the planet. And it's just like, it, it makes you think twice about the shows you go to. So, yeah. I, I mean, the last, last show me and the wife went to was I took her to see Janet Jackson. Okay. Which, which was rad oh, killer. and it was we we had a great time and nobody said anything to me until the end and it was like two or three people came over and i was like here really <laughs> it's like this isn't my crowd man you know so it, was, it was actually pretty rad you've mentioned your wife a few times alicia uh, alicia dove and she uh, obviously she's uh in the judas video and she's in right. the painless video breathing fire and the Cherry Bombs have been on the Jericho Cruise and a great collection of, of awesome uh, ladies doing some cool dancing and all that stuff. And I noticed they were on your uh, forum and against some show as well. So it's pretty cool to have a whole collection of fire-breathing, hot backup dancers at your disposal. You talk about ripping off Van Halen and, and you, really. I mean, <laughs> it was the best, the best end to that ever, you know? Because it's like we had the pyro and stuff, but I really wanted to push that that the vibe of that you know and they were in the cmft video with you and, and yeah. everybody else and i was just like you know what that would be a great encore you know so we had them come out they did the aerial they did the fire they did like they they, they created this whole dance uh routine 
to uh, CMFT and then going into watching you by Kiss, which is oh, that's great. Kind of yeah, it was great. So, yeah, man, she's been working nonstop on something new for the bombs, which is really, really cool, man. It's going to be really rad. It's a uh, this whole storyline thing that she's doing. Oh, like cool! Expanding, like it's really. She's got a great group of girls right now, women, excuse me, who are uh, really like, her core crew. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited for people to see what she's gonna do. It's it's gonna be dope. Because you actually have had the Cherry Bombs on tour with you before, yeah. maybe for Stone Sour. Yeah, yeah, it was the Stone Sour Steel Panther tour uh, that we did, and I can remember I was I was talking to I can't remember if it was Darren or whatever, but I was like I don't want to get just a regular band to open the set. Like I want something different because obviously it's still panther they're trying to you're they're bringing the party right and then it was us and i was trying to get us out of that kind of that bum out mode you know where it's just like everybody's yeah. gotta be serious you know right I was, I was like how can we like raise the stakes on that and you know that's when i i remember i was like following the cherry bombs and shit and i was like i was like well maybe maybe they'd be down for us so we hit them up and one thing led to another and it and we were able to make it go. So it was, it was pretty rad, man. No, it's, it's adds such a great element. You know what I mean? And like I said, it's one of those things where there is that style of rock and roll. And it's cool to me that you're embracing it, uh, where people are getting a little bit more into, they just, like you said, it's not so much of a downer or violent or heavy metal. It's more of just like, let's just have some fun, man. And, and just have, have a little bit of a, like you mentioned earlier, this is the Paul Stanley rock and roll party, you know? Dude, man, absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons why people have migrated away from rock and metal. Interesting. For a while. It's because they're just tired of being bummed out. All right. And right. Look, I'm just as guilty of pushing those people out the door. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, the first 10, 15 years of my career was just me, you know, bitching about my problems and, and, you know, kind of unloading all the shit that I'd had to deal with in my life. So now it's, you know, people are finding that enjoyment, that, that, that positive kind of pop in pop and hip hop mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. And certainly, they're certainly not getting it from this softer alternative rock that's happening right now with the, you know, everything's got a ton of fucking reverb on it. Oh, Totally. Three fucking accordions in the band. I don't get the hell. I don't know what that is, but but that's one of the reasons why I'm really trying to bring back that style, man. Where it's like you can't play these songs without smiling. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't sing these songs without smiling. You know, it's like you put smiles on people's faces, and they're going to come back. You know, there's obviously going to be a crowd for the stuff that's a little more contemplative and a little more you know in your face and stuff. But at the same time why just cater to that group? You know, if you can get people to come back to rock and roll by putting a smile on their face, everybody wins. And that's just the way it is. Well, yeah. And it's almost too, like, I think I went and saw Garth Brooks last summer and I saw Luke Bryan a couple of years ago. And it's like country music is, that's like almost where the party is. And listen, right. God bless him. But I'm like, this is what rock and roll should be. Drinking beer. Wait, and be oh. Yeah, Tons man. of chicks and that, you know. I can remember going to, and this is true. This is a true story. I can remember going to see Pantera and uh, uh, Ozzy at, in, in about the same month, right? This was back in the early 90s. Right. 
And Ozzy had Ugly Kid Joe and oh, who the hell else was on that show? But it was like it was like the the cusp of where it was before it was really going metal, right? right. I, was, I saw Pantera and it was dope. It was crazy, crazy show. And then I went and saw Ozzy, and it's like the level of chicks in that auditorium, dude, had went, went from this to like <laughs> yeah, this. Right, right. And I was like, oh yeah, that's <laughs> what's supposed to happen here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was it was rad. It was such such a different juxtaposition, man. And it reminded you of why at the time it was it was kind of rad to be a dude, you know, like <laughs> especially a young dude just trying to make his way through, and it. And that's that's the stuff that I remember fondly, and it's one of the reasons why I love this style of music. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Stone Sour a few times. What's the future, and what's the state of, of the band now? We're just kind of on indefinite hiatus, let's put it that way. Um, I know Josh is working on his solo thing, which is rad. I know he's he's been wanting to do that for a while. Chow's got his restaurant and a couple other things that he's working on. Roy's actually... I mean, Roy can do whatever he yeah. wants. I mean, he plays in every band. Yeah. yeah, dude, he he can fill in for anyone. He can take over from anyone. But he's actually doing a lot of scoring, which really? is rad. Um, yeah, yeah. He said he kind of started in commercials. I know he's been doing some uh, some movie stuff. He and I are actually going to score the the movie that I wrote uh, when it eventually gets made. It's actually getting pretty close. I'll I'll talk about that in a second. And obviously, Tooch is with me in this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, 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 I think is the movie you wrote. Is that the? Uh, am I spoiling anything to say? Is it the zombie? Oh yeah, zombie ninjas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zombie ninja. It's going to be. It's a great idea, it, and it's it's as ridiculous as it sounds. You know, and it, it really. It's the cool thing is that it feels like there's this resurgence of like cool B movie horror going on right sure, now. Sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know if you've seen on uh, on Netflix that Vampires versus the Bronx. No, looks, um, I haven't seen it yet, but it looks right amazing. Now. Can't wait to watch it. Yeah, it's Vampires versus the Bronx, and it looks so dope. It, it's such a funny look at gentrification, <laughs> and it's like all the white people moving to the Bronx turn out to be vampires. It's rad, and it's like. But it's like scary, dude. Like the, the the effects are great. The the movement is killer. It looks really really good. So there's like this because it, for for the last like I want to say four or five years, there's been this resurgence of what I call Oscar horror, mm. where everybody's yeah. like you know so you know, you know <laughs> yeah the nun conjuring yeah right yeah yeah, yeah totally. insidious uh, don't breathe hereditary. Yeah. Yeah, hereditary. Yeah, exactly. Great I mean, point. And I love those movies, but you can't exactly, dude. Hereditary made me sick. Like I was, oh, dude, yeah, like, I was scared, uncomfortable. Yeah. And, ugh, yeah, you know, like I love it, but yeah, I, you can't rewatch those movies because right with it. That's a good point. You, you know, like you need a good shower afterwards, like, <laughs> right? But with like other stuff, man. You can watch. You can rewatch that shit, like Evil Dead Two. You rewatch all the time, and you pick up new shit, and like that's the stuff that I love. So that's kind of the spirit of what Zombie vs Ninja is, is going to be. And I've actually, I got a, a handful of people I'm working with right now. We're actually punching up the script that I that I wrote, and uh, that's so awesome. Yeah, man, we're gonna Dude, break that's ground. Rad. And I'm trust me, if you're down, I'll call you. 
if you want to be in it. I'm please. in. I'm actually going to be in Terrifier 2. Uh, we're filming oh, that. Oh, shit? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's rad. Anybody that likes horror movies that's not hip to Terrifier, please oh. watch it. It is up man yeah you have to see that clown dude. Oof. Oof. creepiest Oof. clown i thought your clown was creepy my clown was fire <laughs> and i just went those chicklets up man like he's just he's hard to look at yeah oh, totally <laughs> Last few things uh, we have to talk. I just mentioned at least that In Search of the Darkness 2, which is a great documentary about 80s horror movies. You were kind of the host of the first one. I, I am uh, the host of the second one, but you're in you're in it as well. That's right. That was a really cool experience because there's so much great material to talk about just from that era of horror movies as well. Yeah, I'm, and I'm glad they're doing a second one because I, I, when I was watching the first one, just the regular, because there, there's, there's two different ones. There's the regular version and then they did a, a very Corey centric yeah. set of collector's edition. The, but the first one really, really good, man. The, but they left out so many great movies, but, but there's so many movies to choose from. Sure. You know? yeah. So I love the fact that they circled back around to do, uh, you know, a sequel to, to hit all these other movies that they didn't really talk. They're talking about Italian horror, um, talking about all the sequels and stuff like they're really starting to get down like the franchises and shit yeah. i mean it, it's rad so it, it's yeah I, I was stoked to be a part of that they're actually working on in search of tomorrow as well which is uh 80s sci-fi oh killer yeah which I, <laughs> which I was i was able to be a part of that one too and i just exploded on that as well you, know? <laughs> so you forget just how many great movies came out in the 80s and then before, and then you see the list, and you're like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, right. yeah, it's insane. So it's almost like it was a glory years for 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 horror movies, just like it was for rock and roll the '80s. So th there's right. such a treasure trove of stuff to talk about. Yeah, and it was such a big decade. Yeah, like it was it was such a big decade. And there was so much going on that the music, the movies were a reflection of that. Man, it was like this, you know, the massive productions, the 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 big the big image the big everything you know yeah and then almost like the nineties were the the really ever the the antithesis of that because of how big it was and and I think we've had a hard time getting back to that you know there are other genres that have embraced that but yeah I, I think a lot of the movies and stuff that are afraid to to touch that level of uh, just indulgence if, if that is the yeah and that's why like when you talked about like zombie versus ninja like have you seen the hatchet series yes oh yeah dude. i just got hip to that just to, just during the pandemic actually and i'd heard about it but nah and i finally watched it those movies are killer no pun intended they're great yeah the kills in that first one <laughs> so bad dude. <laughs> oh my god dude and they do it, and the camera work is so good yeah. that it's they're able to morph that shot into one seamless shot. So it looks like it's like, well, he's pulling that actor's face apart. What the <laughs> hell? You know, that's just that's great cinematography, man. It's really good. Yeah, there's another death. I can't remember which part it was. Where he basically pulls the guy's skeleton out of his body. Yeah, so just like. <laughs> 
And it, it doesn't That's look stupid, cool. but it's so awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> last, uh, last, last couple questions for you. We've never discussed this before, but how is this just an urban legend or how much of a chance or focus was there for you to actually be the singer of Anthrax during that period Very. of time? Wow. Very. Yeah. I was actually getting the, the, the day I got told that I couldn't do it by Roadrunner was the day I was getting ready to, to go to Chicago to work with Scott and Charlie, like for real, like, and it, it was sucked. They, cause I told them that this was what I was going to do. And I was actually kind of trying to find out because at the time I wasn't sure where Anthrax's contract was. And I was like, maybe is it a way maybe we could release it on Roadrunner. So I was kind of reaching out like that, not on Anthrax's behalf, but just for my own, mm-hmm. you know, and I had even gone through it with my manager where I was like, okay, basically we'll just treat this as an album full of guest appearances, you know, like, cause the, there was no way I was going to be able to be on like a contract with them. And contractually, I, I was trying to work out the nuances to find right. the, the loopholes basically. And the day I was supposed to get on the plane, I get this big conference call, you know, this come to, this come to Jesus call. Right. <laughs> And they basically told me that they weren't going to let me do it. Like they use like, you can go ahead and go record all that stuff. We will sue them and not let them release anything. Wow. Because, and it was all because they wanted another Slipknot album. And it was, it really didn't have anything to do with, with Anthrax or me necessarily because they wanted another Slipknot album. And that was all hope was gone. That tells you how long ago it was. I mean, right. this was, 12 years ago. So that was the hardest, hardest phone call I had to ever make. Um, and Scott's got a, a, a heartbreakingly great story about it where he was actually flying back from Europe because he had gone over there to see uh, Metallica kind of do like had done something really, really cool over there. And he was on his way back and was uh, and he was flying right into Chicago to go to work with me and Charlie. Mm. And he lands and he gets that voice message. Mm. And he's standing in the airport and he's just like, it's like fuck. And you know, and Scott's yeah. voice, like, I, I stand in that. I didn't know what to do. You know, I like <laughs> I not. So that was that sucked. And for the longest time, I thought Charlie was like really mad at me. You mm. know. Yeah. I felt horrible, man. You know, like I, cause this was something I really wanted to do. They had sent me so much stuff that then and ended up on, uh, worship music, which was dope. So I got to hear all this stuff and I had great ideas. So even now, when I hear that, that album, I hear <laughs> the warps and I instinctively think of the shit that I was writing for. Right, 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 right. It was weird, you know? Yeah. It was, uh, here's a, here's a little trivia for you. Some of the stuff that I was writing for Anthrax, I ended up actually using on All Hope Is Gone, lyric-wise. Wow. I changed some of the melodies and stuff, but the lyrics were dead memories I was actually going to use for hmm. Anthrax. And there's a couple of handful of other things, but I had written a bunch of stuff down, and I liked those lyrics so much that I ended up going, you know what, I'm going to use this for, for that. that. But yeah, no, that was, that was an absolute reality, man. But you were never planning on leaving Slipknot. You were just going to kind of no. try and do both. Yeah, I was going to try and do, I was going to put, I actually told Stone Sour, 
weird because I it's kind of the same thing that I did here. I told Stone Sour, I was like, look, I want to go do like a quick run with Anthrax and, and, and really just do that. Um, and then I'll probably go and do Slipknot afterwards, you know? Right. And, you know, Stone Sour was like, all right, whatever. We, we don't care at the time anyway. And uh, yeah, so that's one of the, that and the Velvet Revolver thing are the two like biggest what ifs of my life, you know, like what could have happened. You were up for that gig too? Yeah, man. Yeah. They, they were on. Now that was different because they were auditioning a bunch of people. Right. And, uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think I was maybe one of three or four people who had gone in and was writing music with them. No like, shit. Demoing stuff. Yeah. I got a whole bunch of stuff that we had like done together. Wow. It's actually rad. If I had gotten to, to really, really focus and work on it, I think it could have been, it could have been, it have been huge. Yeah. But that, that didn't happen because I think the band had to, had to split up. There was, yeah. there was a lot of, there was a lot of tension going on, but that was, that's, that to me isn't as bittersweet as the anthrax thing because that started out as a joke that me and Scott and Frankie were actually talking about on the streets of New York city. Like I had gone to New York to, do a, an acoustic gig with with them and then we went to dinner and they were like I, I was asking i was like what's going on with anthrax like are you doing john are you doing you know joey joey yeah. like, well, why don't you do it and we all laughed and then we all kind of looked at each other <laughs> and then literally like a week later i was back home and, and scott hit me up he's like were you serious about that and i was like yeah man let's you know what do you what do you want to do so it broke my heart not being able to do that. Did you ever jam with them at all? No, I never gotcha. got to. Never got. But I, they, uh, Charlie hit me up and was like, put together a uh, a set list. <laughs> so I I went for it. Like I had them, I had them opening with Schism. Damn. Yeah, I was going, I was going hard. And it was a great blend of, you know, the the Bush era and and Belladonna era. And with like the new stuff peppered in, but I I thought it, it could have been rad, man. It, it's yeah, that's killer, man. Well, lo- that's that's a, that's a great rock. It would have been the equivalent of like uh, when Axel sang for ACDC, but the heavy right. metal version, right? Dude, yeah, absolutely. Last two questions for you: What's your favorite song on CMFT, and what's your favorite horror movie? Mm. My favorite song on CMFT has today, to today, yeah, because <laughs> it changes every day. It's got to be uh, Samantha's Gone. That's a great tune. Yeah, and that's actually going to be the next single. That's uh, a great like, tune, yeah. Yeah, they're like freak, like everybody's freaking out on it. I love that song because I wrote it right around the time that I got sober uh, for like the final time to me. Mm-hmm. And it was me basically kind of taking the piss out of myself, you know, like being, you know, being the, 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 the old sober rock guy, you know, <laughs> you know doing the, doing the thumb dance, you know, <laughs> and uh, just going basically what's, what's next? Like, what do you do when mm-hmm. you're that guy, you know? So you, it's, so, so basically it's kind of a lighthearted look at, you know, once you've burned through all your vices and shit, like what, what do you do now? What's next? Yeah. Kind of just, you know, now I got nothing to lose because Samantha's gone. So it's like that there's that, you know? Right. 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 How about horror movies? Favorite horror movie. I mean, I have a whole fucking list, but it has to be the OG Halloween. Like that, dude. That's mine. 
Yeah. Oh, dude. I mean, it it looks amazing. The tension is beautiful. The cinematography is genius. It it I could put that movie up against anything today. Great. It'd still be there. It doesn't rely on gore. It relies on true tension and building. And I mean, the characters are great. You're you're completely engulfed. You're in the story. And nothing's been able to touch it since, man. Like even Friday the 13th, which, you know, I love all those movies, but Not the same. it never had the gravitas that Halloween had, you know? Right. The, the way it starts out, where it's like the, you know, every, like it's a little kid. Yeah. And you, you pull back and it's a, you're just like, what? Yeah. I mean, it's great. It's one of the, nobody talks about that, that reveal enough, yeah. you know, everybody talks about sleepaway camp. What about this one, man? Yeah. Like, where I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that's so, that really sets the tone for it's like, I, I have no idea what's going to happen now, you know? And it's, yeah, it's, it's such a great and incredibly quotable. And uh, it's just, it's fun. Somebody, uh, uh, actually, last drive in Joe Bob Briggs, they asked me, like, uh, why do you think Michael Myers is so evil? And everyone's like, oh, he's evil incarnate. Like, I don't buy that shit. I wanted to go deep. So I said, I think he was so in love with his sister that when he saw this other boy touching his sister and his sister loving this other boy, that he lost his mind and kills them both because he loves his sister so much. And now whenever he sees a female, he sees his sister that betrayed him. So he must kill her. And any boy that wants to go after the sister must die as well. So basically he just wants to kill the human race. Because all girls are a sister and all right. boys are this boyfriend. Right, right. Not bad, I right? mean, <laughs> that makes a lot more sense than the thorn cult. Let's put it that way. Than the what? The thorn cult. That's from Halloween 6. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, yeah. Oh, we don't it. discuss that here. No. <laughs> That's not canon. That's not canon. That's not canon. <laughs> Dude, it's always a blast talking with you, man. And congratulations on a, on a great uh, record and, and a great live show, great idea, and so many more ideas coming up. All right, thanks, brother. It's always, I, as soon as we set this, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we get a chance to see each other again soon. And hang- We actually might be coming to Vegas, uh, one of these points, for something for AEW. So if we okay. do, I'll give you a call. We can yeah, sit man, six feet apart I, in the backyard and have a coffee. I would coffee. love it. That'd, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. <laughs> cool. All right, dude. Cheers, man. All right, man.